Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. My name is Daniel. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time we read about the goings-on of Middle-earth, Thingol and Melian established the kingdom of Doriath in Beleriand, and with the assistance of the dwarves, built a stronghold called Menegroth, the Thousand Caves. Dwarves and elves enjoyed peace and prosperity and learned from each other. As the time drew nearer to Melkor's release from captivity, the dark and evil things in Middle-earth began to spread. So the Sindar, the Eldar who did not go to Oman or Valinor, began to arm themselves. Today we conclude chapter 10 of Quintus Silmarillion, beginning on page 94 of the second edition. Now, as has been told, one Lenwe of the host of Olwe forsook the march of the Eldar at that time when the Teleri were halted by the shores of the great river upon the borders of the westlands of Middle-earth. Little is known of the wanderings of the Nandor, whom he led away down Anduin. Some, it is said, dwelt age-long in the woods of the Vale of the Great River. Some came at last to its mouths, and there dwelt by the sea. And yet others passing by Arid Nimrice, the White Mountains, came north again and entered the wilderness of Eriador, between Arid Luin and the far mountains of Mist. Now these were a woodland people, and had no weapons of steel, and the coming of the fell beasts of the north filled them with great fear, as the Nalgrim declared to King Thingol and Menegroth. Therefore Denethor, the son of Lenwe, hearing rumor of the might of Thingol and his majesty, and of the peace of his realm, gathered such host of his scattered people as he could, and led them over the mountains into Beleriand. There they were welcomed by Thingol as kin long lost that return. And they dwelt in Osiriand, the land of the seven rivers. Of the long years of peace that followed after the coming of Denethor, there is little tale. In those days, it is said, Diodron, the minstrel, chief lore master of the kingdom of Thingol, devised his runes, and the Nalgrim that came to Thingol learned them, and were well pleased with the device, esteeming Deron's skill higher than did the Sindar, his own people. By the Nalgrim, the Kirth were taken east over the mountains, and passed into the knowledge of many peoples. But they were little used by the Sindor, Sindar for the keeping of records until the days of the war. And much that was held in memory perished in the ruins of Doriath. But of bliss and glad life, there is little to be said before it ends. As works fair and wonderful, while still they endure for eyes to see, are their own record. And only when they are in peril or broken forever, do they pass into song. In Beleriand in those days, the elves walked, and the rivers flowed, and the stars shone, 
and the night flowers gave forth their scents, and the beauty of Melian was at the noon, as the noon, and the beauty of Luthien was as the dawn in spring. In Beleriand, King Thingol upon his throne was the lords of the Ma was as the lords of the Maiar, whose power is at rest, whose joy is as an air that they breathe in all their days, whose thought flows in a tide, untroubled from the heights to the deeps. In Beleriand, still at times rode Orame the Great, passing like a wind over the mountains and the sound of his horn came down the leagues of the starlight. And the elves feared him, for the splendor of his countenance, and the great noise of the onrush of Nahar. But when the Valorama echoed in the hills, they knew well that all evil things were fled far away. But it came to pass at last that the end of bliss was at hand, and the noontide of Valinor was drawing to its twilight. For as has been told, and, is, and as is known to all, being written in lore and sung in many songs, Melkor slew the trees of the Valar with the aid of Ungoliant, and escaped and came back to Middle-earth. Far to the north befell the strife of Morgoth and Ungoliant, but the great cry of Morgoth echoed through Beleriand, and all its peoples shrank for fear. For though they knew not what it foreboded, they heard then the herald of death. Soon afterwards, Ungoliant fled from the north and came into the realm of King Thingol, and a terror of darkness was about her. But by the power of Melian, she was stayed and entered not into Neldoreth, but abode long time under the shadow of the precipices in which Dorthonian fell southward. And they became known as Erd Gorgoroth, the mountains of terror, and none dared to go hither or pass nigh them. There life and light were strangled, and there all waters were poisoned. But Morgoth, as has been told, returned to Angband and built it anew, and above its doors he reared the reeking towers of Thangorodrim, and the gates of Morgoth were but 150 leagues distant from the bridge of Menegroth, far and yet all too near. Now the orcs that multiplied in the darkness of the earth grew strong and fell, and their dark lord filled them with the lust of ruin and death. And they issued from Angban's gates under the clouds that Morgoth sent forth and passed silently into the highlands of the north. Thence, on a sudden, a great army came into Beleriand and assailed King Thingol. Now, in his wide realm, many elves wandered free in the wild or dwelt at peace in small kindreds far sundered and only about Menegroth in the midst of the land and along the Phallus in the country of the Mariners were their numerous peoples. But the orcs came down upon either side of Menegroth and from camps in the east between Kalon and Gelion and west in the plains between Sirion 
and Narog. They plundered far and wide, and Thingol was cut off from Círdan at Eglarest. Therefore he called upon Denethor, and the elves came in force from Region, beyond Aros, and from Osiriand, and fought the first battle in the wars of Beleriand. And the eastern host of the orcs was taken between the armies of the Eldar, north of the Andram, and midway between Aros and Galeon, and there they were utterly defeated. And those that fled north from the great slaughter were waylaid by the axes of the Nagrim that issued from Mount Dolmid. Few indeed returned to Angband. But the victory of the elves was dear-bought, for those of Osiriand were light-armed and no match for the orcs, who were shod with iron and iron-shielded, and bore great spears with broad blades. And Denethor was cut off and surrounded upon the hill of Amon Ereb. There he fell, and all his nearest kin about him, before the host of Thingol could come to his aid. Bitterly though his fall was avenged, when Thingol came upon the rear of the orcs and slew them in heaps, his people lamented him ever after and took no king again. After the battle, some returned to Assyriand, and their tidings filled the remnant of people of their people with great fear, so that thereafter they came never forth in open war, but kept themselves by wariness and secrecy, and they were called the Lyquendi, the green elves, because of their raiment of the color of leaves. But many went north and entered the garden realm of Thingol, and were merged with his people. And when Thingol came again to Menegroth, he learned that the Orkhost in the west was victorious, and had driven Círdan to the rim of the sea. Therefore he withdrew all his people that his summons could reach within the fastness of Nolareth and Region. And Melian put forth her power and fenced all that dominion round about with an unseen wall of shadow and bewilderment, the girdle of Melian, that none thereafter could pass against her will or the will of King Thingol, unless one should come with a power greater than that of Melian the Maya. And this inner land, which was long named El Eglador, was after called Doriath, the guarded kingdom, land of the girdle. Within it, there was yet a watchful peace, but without there was peril and great fear, and the servants of Morgoth roamed at will, save in the walled havens of the Phalas. But new tidings were at hand, which none in Middle-earth had foreseen, neither Morgoth in his pits, nor Melian in Menegroth. For no news came out of Amman, whether by messenger, or by spirit, or by vision and dream, after the death of the trees. In this same time, Feanor came over the sea in the white ships of the Teleri, and landed in the firth of Drengist, and there burned the ships at Losgar. So, to summarize, the Nandor 
are a subset of Teleri elves who stopped the great journey when they reached the river Anduin. As evil things began to spread across the earth, they continued the journey and they were welcomed by Thingol into Beleriand. They established dwellings in the region of Elsirian, the Seven Rivers, which is just west of the Blue Mountains, Arid Luin. Morgoth returns to Angban and rebuilds it. Ungoliant flees southward and remains in the mountains just north of Menegroth, which come to be known as Arid Gorgoroth, Mountains of Terror. Morgoth sends forth his armies and they surround Menegroth, being cut off from Círdan, Thingol asks for, the, for help from the Nandor. Their aid assures victory, but their king Denethor is lost, and they adopt an isolationist stance, becoming known as the Lyquendi, the Green Elves. Melian uses her power to create a barrier around Doriath called the Girdle of Melian, and at this time, Feanor lands on the shores of Middle-earth and burns the Teleri ships. So we're kind of getting to this part where all the stories that we've heard are converging. Like we've kind of caught up these different timelines have all caught up with each other. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's talk about... uh, Denethor, and and, and he's the, not uh, the Denethor you think he is. I, I not, had to look it up. He's not the Denethor. He's the not that Denethor. Denethor from, he's the good uh, one. He's the good one. King. The original, the OG. I guess his his great grandfather or his grandfather. Oh wow! It's his. Um, that can't be. That can't be. He's an elf. Denethor the second is Lord of Minas Tirith, and Denethor OG is the leader of the Green Elves. Yeah, and they're I, related? No, they're not related. Oh. I was going to say, I mean... Um, well, Denethor dies here. I mean, that doesn't mean he didn't have children before, but... Um, yeah. I, I kind of like this... Um, <laughs> this is a funny description, because so what we kind of heard last week and this time are that... is that uh, the Sindar are experiencing peace. You know, they're kind of like prospering in this in middle earth while Melkor's in captivity. Um, and they're really disconnected from everything that's happening in Amman. So when the trees die, they don't even know because they're so far away, they don't get the light of the trees anyway. And um, there's, but there's a lot of stuff. It's kind of hinting that bad things are going to happen soon, you know, and it says um, much that the, the Sindar had, was lost in the ruins of Doriath. So we haven't heard about that yet, but we we know now that this kingdom is not going to last forever, which kind of makes sense because if you look at the, the map again, that part of the continent isn't even there when we get to hmm. the Third Age and the Lord of the Rings. But anyway, that's that's for another time. But I love this little, little bit here. This is the uh, kind of top third of page 95. But of bliss and glad life, there is little to be said before it ends. As works fair and wonderful, while they still endure for eyes to see, are their own record. And only when they are in peril or broken forever do they pass in the song. 
So it's just kind of in this period with the with the Sindar where they're not concerned with preserving things or because they all they really know is peace or just like these small conflicts that don't really threaten them that much. So they're not really concerned with like recording their history or saving their jewels for posterity. Like they just are living life in the moment. YOLO. And it, I'm curious um, what the reasoning was to send the orcs out. Like, I wonder if Morgoth wanted them to like almost act as like scouts or to test the, the metal of, of his enemy just to yeah. see like what he could do with a certain number of orcs. Right. We don't know how many this was, you know, compared to his, his hosts in Ongban, but he yeah. just sends them out. And it, I love how this is so, so interesting the way he describes them. He says they multiplied in the darkness of the earth and they were filled with a lust of rain and death. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> But a, a lust for death. Um, yeah. Can you imagine something so, so um, twisted that it would, it would be filled with the lust of death? Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if it was like a strategic, you know, thing, or if the orcs just are multiplying and just kind of running wild. Yeah. He he, um, he seems to be trying to reestablish himself. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I would think probably. I don't just think Morgoth kind of... knows what's going on with Thingol, right? Because the the girdle of Melian, there's like this hidden. Well, that well that was set up because he attacked them, or because oh, I, see. Attacked I them. see. I'm yeah. I'm I'm reversing those. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. But but he doesn't. He really doesn't know what's going on with Feanor. He doesn't know. I mean, he probably knows that he's being pursued. Because he just ran off with the Silmarils, but um, he doesn't really know what's going on back there. Um, as far as he's, I mean, it's been three ages since he was here. So, like last time he was here, there weren't, there wasn't anybody around. But now there's like this kingdom that's kind of been built here. And they they won the battle. Thingol won the battle. So that's mm -hmm. that's interesting that. Um. He sends out a ton of orcs and they won the battle. But we like if you see a multitude of orcs come out of this, you know, this place where, you know, there's a stronghold named Angband. People know it in like the lore, um, the stories that are told. You don't know how deep that goes. You don't know how yeah, yeah. deep and dark and numerous the, the enemy is. It's kind of terrifying. And I like this point that he makes. He says but 150 leagues distant from the bridge of Menegroth was the, were the gates of Morgoth far and yet all too near. Like there's, there's kind of this, it's kind of reminds me like in um, the Lord of the Rings, how Minas Tirith is kind of like on the edge or That's um, what I was the, just uh, thinking uh, of. Osgiliath yeah. really, right. Osgiliath is like that last kind of line of defense against. It's really far away, but you can see it. Right. It's all flat. Right. Yeah. You can just see the mountains over there. And um, even uh, Ungoliant, we still are hearing more about her, who just kind of like makes her own dwelling in this these mountains north of Doria. So she's kind of, I think according to the map, she's kind of in between Thingol and Morgoth um, in the mountains there. So 
it's not like people want to go around and explore up there anyway, because it's just kind of this dark place with this ugly spider creature that is always belching vapors of darkness. Yeah, you have Ungoliant's children and then poisoned waters (laughs) and things are haunted. Yeah. Yeah, not a nice place. It's so funny because it's yeah, you're right. Um, once the the girdle of Melian is set up, there's like just this nice, peaceful, beautiful place. Yeah, but it's so close to just the most disgusting, dark. Yeah, that's interesting. If you're living within the girdle of Melian, you would be kind of naive to what's going on, cut off from what's going on on the outside. Um, I like how. Well, maybe that's a thing to talk about a little bit. The Girdle of Melian. Um, I like how it describes kind of how it works. Um, Let's see if I could find it here. It's like, it works like by confusion, kind of. Like, Mm. it's not like a a force field where you like run into it and you're like, oh, I can't pass through this invisible wall. It's not like that. It's like, it says, it's like when um, you're walking through the woods and you get lost somehow. It's like, wait, did I have I seen right, this right, before? And right. start wandering around, and inevitably the girdle just like keeps people out through that. Right. Through that way, it says uh, the way it describes it is an unseen wall of shadow and bewilderment. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so it's just like it reminds me of uh, if you remember the Nintendo sixty four uh, game. <laughs> Ocarina of Time, the, the Legend Classic. of Zelda game. The Lost Woods in it at the beginning. You just like, Oh yeah, you just go yeah, you keep like every time you go through spot. you have like four options or three options to choose from, and if you don't know the right path, then you just like end up back at the start again. And I, I like that kind of um there's like a sometimes, not all the time, but in in this, there's like a subtlety to the magic. It's not like you know, two in your face or over the top. It's just right. Like, it's like if Marvel was shooting this, like if this was a Marvel <laughs> property, it would literally be that force field thing that's around, you know, Wakanda. The, gun, or the Gungans. It's like the thing the Gungans. <laughs> oh, yeah. In Star Wars as well. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is this is subtle. It's just like, oh, did I go this way before? I thought I'd, that tree looks familiar. That's really cool. Yeah, that the magic in Tolkien seems to be that kind of subtle, um, suggestive. I don't know how to describe it, but like, you know, uh, Gandalf isn't like shooting lightning bolts out of his, you know, staff all the time or right. creating force fields all the time, things like that. Right. It's like uh, with Gandalf, like, it's kind of like he has this, um, a lot of his, a lot of maybe his magic, so to speak, is in the way he influences men. You know, he like encourages them and gives them hope and purpose, which you could do without magic, I guess, or whatever. But like the way that it's he wisdom. works, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. But yeah, then there's that scene with him riding and uh, shooting that light at the Nazgul. That was pretty cool. I don't know if that happened in the book, but that was that was an awesome <laughs> shot. Yeah, uh, the girdle is pretty sweet. It's it's a cool, it's a cool thing. It's a cool, tra- was, it's a cool I, word, girdle. I was trying to think if there was if there's anything like that 
present in the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, like a bewitching or like a palpable field of magic slash energy. I don't think there is, though, is there? I don't know. Um, I know we we brushed past it pretty quick, but I like this bit. This whole a lot of what we read was uh, about the what are now known as the Lyquendi, the Green Elves. Yeah, who they kind of have their own separate history, um, and they come to the aid of Thingol when he needs them, and you know they have their sacrifice and Denethor dying and some of his close people, but um, it's just interesting because they, the elves, you know, very early on, we read about the sundering of the elves. There's all these different groups and factions. And I think this is an important point for us to keep in mind right now. Feanor has done all this stuff in Amon, which has led to further divisions and treachery, right? He's killed Teleri. He's now left his own people for dead. But over here in Middle Earth, they haven't experienced that yet. Like they haven't had that kind of division within them. They, their divides are more natural. Like they're more organic. Like, well, we just want to stay in this place and you guys can go over there. But they still have this fidelity to each other where when they really are in need, they'll come to each other's aid. And uh, even to the point of losing their king, you know, in battle. So I think that's I think that's important for us to remember because they're about to encounter Feanor. Like Feanor has just made it to Middle Earth and he's bringing with him all the lies of Melkor that have been sown in his heart. And he's bringing with him all the treachery that he's committed. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Yeah. I did ask, I asked uh, Midjourney to, <laughs> I just typed in like, like Quendi. Uh -huh. um photo real um cameron can you put it on the screen what is that <laughs> typed in like Wendy. Wait, what did you type <laughs> like wendy like <laughs> wendy I, I i typed in the, like like wendy like the green I just, elves well, green i just typed in like wendy uh photo real is real <laughs> that's what it came um <laughs> hmm very strange all right well let's let's spend the next 10 minutes dissecting this image from an artistic no. standpoint <laughs> this not. is this is terrifying it's horrible <laughs> if you're just listening it's it's like it's like a, a a young woman who has uh like <laughs> orange segments or other grapefruit segments for grapefruit. uh an ear and one on her cheek and then what looks like hazelnut or some kind of nuts in her hair and it's at first it's kind of pleasing until you realize that these are like growths in her head <laughs> yeah, i just wanted hey. it to like imagine the elves all right let me let me get that out of our system by asking uh -huh. you a question dan are you ready and no. greg i want you to answer too well actually dan <laughs> dan here's the question so melian was as the noon and the beauty of Luthien was as the dawn in spring. Which do you prefer? Your wife. Is she more like the beauty of the noon? 
or the dawn and spring? Ah, the dawn and spring. Subtle. Well, uh, dawn and spring breaks the darkness, and it is ever new and ever young and ever beautiful. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say dawn and spring, too. Um, yeah, and full of life. I love spring. I, I read that as more like age. Like, it's her daughter. Like, Luthien is millions. You got to be more of a romantic. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's no, not just no. about arithmetic, Greg. <laughs> okay? Yeah. It's poetry, uh, Greg. If you actually calculate yeah, what he's really, talking just, about. I've been calculating this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Melian was 12 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Luthier was more like 6 a.m. probably uh, in elf days <laughs> who doesn't want the dawn and spring it, the dawn and spring holds promise for the future noon noon half the day is spent already you know but like, to be to play devil's advocate noon is like rate more radiant more um apparently glorious and beautiful mm. i suppose mm. yeah maybe Don when we're, we're at the noon better. of our lives we'll prefer the the beauty of noon yeah Say again we're probably are at the noon of, we're probably in the afternoon of our lives to be honest um wait cameron, cameron are you cameron the... are you in the noon of your beauty or the dawn of your beauty um, I'm probably in the dusk, the musky <laughs> dusk of my beauty. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to. If we're in the afternoon of our life, doesn't that mean past middle age? Well, we don't know how long we have, you know? <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, <laughs> if you like what you hear, go ahead and, go ahead and rate us three Silmarils out of three. Watch the podcast on YouTube. You can see some of these images that we're discussing. Join the conversation on Twitter and on our brand new Discord channel. You can find that before the fellowship. Links can be found in our description and send any comments or questions to beforethefellowship at gmail.com. Join us next time as we read the greatest story you've never heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm -hmm.